morning to you. I can't breathe too well with that, but uh, anyway. Well, I haven't seen you for a while, and since I've seen you last, our daughter got married. It was a beautiful wedding, um, but he's from Canada. He's a pastor up in Canada, and as soon as the honeymoon was open, he had to go up there. He had to be in quarantine for two weeks. And because of um, immigration laws in Canada, Laura wasn't able to follow him up to Canada because he's not a permanent resident yet. And they probably won't have that permission till end of November. But we'll uh, hang on to our daughter for another two months and enjoy every minute. But he's a wonderful young man, and, and uh, eventually they'll post the, the ceremony, and I think you'll enjoy it. It was very, very spiritual. And uh, we couldn't have had a better daughter, and I uh, couldn't have a better son-in-law. And I, I'm just very thankful for God. It's good to be back because there's nothing like being with God's family. You know, you're a wonderful, wonderful congregation. And, uh, and I'm glad we, we moved, uh, moved in about three weeks ago to our new place, so we're not two and a half hours away. We're maybe an hour and 15. But, uh, we did accomplish by cutting our time in half, which uh, was pretty good. Um, and uh, we moved to Alliance, and there's a little church in Alliance that was only meeting... Uh, Every other Sabbath. So when they'd go out and invite people to church, they'd have to, oh, that's right, we're not meeting this Sabbath, but the one after this. And and that didn't work too good, so uh, they might have had maybe 10 people. But it's a wonderful group. And we just started meeting every Sabbath. So if you don't see me here, I'll probably mostly be there now. Um, And uh, so we started every Sabbath. And uh, we were on an off Sabbath, uh, and we had 22 people. And we started a group study. We have eight people on uh, Tuesday nights. Uh, we have some visitors, and uh, and we're just so blessed. And we're just beginning, so now you know where I am when I'm not here. And uh, But I know God has great things for his church as we stick to the word. And we mesh that word with the love of Christ. And we can't go wrong. Before we begin our, begin our message, let's have a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, you are so altogether beautiful. Your mercy is as high as the heavens. And your love for us is boundless. We thank you for allowing us to come together yet in this time of peace. To open up your word that we might learn to love you more to know more of your perfect will for our life, and to be able to encourage one another to keep moving forward. So, Father, we just want to lay this service in your hands, asking that you would be honored and uplifted because you are worthy of our worship. So may we worship you in spirit and truth, whether we're reading or preaching or singing or giving. You are worthy of all this and much more. So we thank you and we pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we're posting, or Dave's posting, the information from our prayer meeting, which is on studying the Bible. Now, studying the Bible is different than reading the Bible. Would you agree? You can read the Bible and not study the Bible. And in reading, you become familiar with the stories, and that's a good thing. It's better to read the Bible than not to read the Bible. But at some point, we have to just slow down and study it. Study does include reading. But you might read a little different. You'll read a little slower. You'll read with emphasis. You may even read it aloud. So the text has an impression back on you as you give expression to it. And we know that in mental health, that expression gives impression. And the more it means to you, the more it's going to impress you 
to do the very thing that it's asking you to do. So you read a little slower, and you read with emphasis, but then we got to do level number two. We need to take the time to observe what we just read. What is it saying? What are some of the key words? Are those words used somewhere else by the same author or in other parts of the Bible? Who said it? Who did they say it to? What's the main theme of this book? This book. And that's all just part of observing what it's actually saying. And that takes time. But then there's level number three. Then we have to interpret what we know it's saying. What does it mean to me? What is the main takeaway of that verse? How, what is it teaching me how to love God more? How to become more like Jesus? Because you know, God is love. And every story and every parable and every proverb and every psalm, every principle that's in the Bible should make us more loving. So how is what I just read and now that I've just observed it, how does it actually make me more like Jesus? And now that I've interpreted it, I now need to apply it. How do I apply what I just read and observed and interpreted at work and home, in my daily life? How do I make it doable by God's grace? Does that seem fair enough? Now, these are the things we've been studying at prayer meeting. We've had, what, three sessions or so already? And we began to talk a little bit about the difference or the relationship between reason and faith. And I want to focus a little bit on that today because we all have reasoning abilities. And I'd like you to open your Bibles. We're going to begin with an ancient story. It's a true story. It's in Genesis chapter 1. And it's in verse 26 that we'll begin. Verse 26 of Revelation, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let us make man in our what? After our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God wanted an intelligent being to take care of the earth and to do so they would need to be like him. Just physically? No, mentally and spiritually. To be able to take care of it properly. Would you agree? That would be the only proper way to take care of it. Is to take care of it just as God would want you to. Otherwise we're not taking care of it properly. Now what I find very interesting. In the next verse. Is God speaking to Adam and Eve. In verse 28, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply. And it goes on and talks about having dominion, and this is the food I've provided. But I want you to just capture that scene for a moment. God is the one who created the, the whole universe. And he's in a dialogue with Adam and Eve. Isn't that amazing? That God would have created our brain in such a way that we could communicate and hold fellowship with the creator of the universe. I find that amazing. And so that's in part how we're created in God's image, mentally. Having the mental faculties to be able to communicate and even talk with God. I find that absolutely amazing. God is love and God is a God of fellowship, you know. And God wants to communicate with, with each one of us. But God told them, not just about the things they could eat, but in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So at this point, we can understand 
man's mental faculties, couldn't we? That for God to be speaking to them and for God to even tell them that there's a prohibition of eating the tree of good and evil and that if they should, the consequences is they'd see death means that the faculties of man must include these four things. An intellect. The ability to collect information. Number two, reasoning abilities. That you take that information, your reason, you're able to reason from cause to effect. Right? Number three, this story clearly brings out the idea of a conscience. A concept of right and wrong. But this story also brings out that we all have a will. You're a free moral agent. And you can decide to eat of that tree or not eat of that tree. You'll have the intellect to understand why you shouldn't and the reason abilities to figure that out and a conscience that says don't do it. But you decide. So we know that God created us with these four things and all four of these things Adam and Eve had in a sanctified way. The only information they had up to this point was truth. And based on all the truths that God had shared with them, they were able to reason and have a a sanctified reasoning ability so everything they thought about and reasoned was perfect. Perfect reasoning. And they had a clear conscience because up to that point they'd never what? They'd never sinned. And they had a perfect will because they chose simply to obey God. That's it, isn't it? That's the plan. Always in fellowship with God. Dialogue with God. Learning truth. Learning what's right so that you can reason right. And by reasoning right, you have a sense of what's right and wrong, and you always choose to do the right thing. Now, you know, friends, God can't give up on that plan. How could he possibly give up on that plan, that it's okay for eternity for people to learn things that aren't true? To not reason properly for eternity? I mean, what a mess the universe would be. It would be an absolute mess. The only thing God can do is bring us back. To where we were before Adam and Eve sinned. Now think of this awesome work God has to do. I didn't become a Christian until the age of 20. You know how many bad ideas I had? How many bad theories? And just the idea that he has to take my brain with wrong information, wrong reasoning, having chosen wrong things to do, he has to take me and reorganize my thoughts with truth to get me to reason properly to know right from wrong and to always want to choose the right thing. That's an amazing work. And how many people is he trying to do that currently? Eight billion people all at one time. That's an amazing God. He loves us all equally. And he's trying to get us all to think properly and make right decisions because, you know, sin destroys. Sin destroys relationships. It destroys our concept of God, ourselves, the world, and we just make a mess of it. And the Bible says things are only going to get what? Worse. Based on wrong information, wrong, wrong reasoning, a seared conscience, Right? People's wills aren't sanctified. God needs a people who have all four of these things in the right mode, right? So Satan knew knew this because he has the same four things, but he corrupted them. He had his first erroneous thought, which began to lead him to reason wrong, to the point he thought he could become, he could become like God. Boy, you have to have a lot of wrong information to get to that point. But it all started with one thought. And he added thought to thought to thought to thought, and he reasoned so wrong, he was actually at war with with God himself. 
And what kind of conscience would he possibly have at this point? And with that wrong thoughts, could Satan ever really make right decisions at this point? See, he, he crossed the line. But the good news is, no human being has crossed that line. Because we were never born like he was created. When he was created, he had all this right information to start with. When we're born, we know nothing. So God's very merciful. As he was with Satan, he gave him a long time to think right, to choose right. And so with every human being out here, there's hope. But everybody's got to begin to start thinking right. Everybody deserves to have what? Right information out there. But most of the information people have is, is wrong. And that's why our world's such a mess. Amen. Amen. God needs a people of the Bible. Yes. Not just a people who read it, yes. but a people who study it. Yes. And they know what is truth. And they know that truth sanctifies. Well, Satan knows how we think. And there's one thing that Adam and Eve had that Satan didn't have. A world. Satan was cast out of heaven. What's he going to do now? He's got to find a place. If he could just get Adam and Eve to what? Choose wrong, to sin. But to get them to do that, he'd have to plant first what? Some wrong thoughts. Isn't that where it started? Boy, if you eat of this tree, you'll become as gods, knowing good and evil for yourself. You wouldn't need God. You just need your own reasoning abilities. You'll be able to determine what's right and wrong all on your own. Is that true? Not at all. That's as false as false gets. Probably one of the most important lessons we could learn as a Christian is that all truth comes from above, all of which is explained that we need to know in this book. We're completely dependent upon God to make right decisions. We'll get into more of that a little later. So, he has to plant these thoughts in the minds of Adam and Eve, so he finds Eve by herself, and he plants the thoughts that you can become as gods, and he also put doubt in her mind that, you know, God knew all this ahead of time, and he just doesn't want you to take of this because he knows that if you partake of it, you'll become as gods. And after all, Eve, I'm your friend. I'm this talking serpent, and you're so beautiful, and you're so smart. And God's really not the one on your side. I'm on your side. And look what you'll become if I can talk as a serpent. Before that happened, was there any reason that Eve would not have trusted God and just simply obeyed? No. God had given her every possible reason to obey. But you see, Eve and Adam had the most brilliant minds ever amongst the human family. Right? I mean, their intellectual capacity must have been absolutely amazing. I mean... You ever thought about naming all the animals? And that's all it took with Eve by herself. And he wanted her to make a decision right away so she wouldn't go back to her husband and share what happened because he would certainly tell her that was who? That was the enemy. And what he told you isn't true. We're not going to partake of this. And everything would have been safe in our little world. So Satan doesn't just want to give you wrong information and make wrong decisions. He wants you to make those decisions now. Because it's one thing to think wrong. It's another thing to do wrong. And the combination of thinking wrong and doing wrong means that you're more likely to keep doing wrong, to keep thinking wrong. Do you see what the gospel's about? The gospel's not just about learning truth. It's about doing the truth you see because if you think right and do right 
you put yourself in a position to know more what's right. And that's why the gospel is more than being forgiven. It's about being changed. It's about thinking different. In fact, even the word repentance means to turn around and to think differently. Because that's where it all starts. Right here with our mind. So Adam and Eve choose wrong. Eve was deceived and Adam chose. Why did he choose? You know, Jesus said, you need to love me more than mother and father. You need to love me more than son and daughter. Is that a truth? Or is that just something nice in the Bible that would be kind of nice to do, but it's not essential? You see, how you approach the Bible, all the matters on your main theme of the Bible. Is the Bible just about God forgiving you and then you do the best life you can? Or is the Bible about God eradicating sin out of your life? You see, there's a difference. It'll affect the whole way you read the Bible. So if every verse is important to help me overcome sin and wrong thinking and wrongdoing, then it is important for me to love Jesus more than everybody else. But that's what happened to Adam because he loved Eve more than he loved God. And he chose wrong. You see how important every verse of the Bible is? Every verse. Every verse is to set us free from wrong thinking and wrong reasoning and wrong choosing so that we can become sanctified in Christ. Now, when Adam and Eve had sinned, they lost something because God says, well, where are you? Well, we hid from you because we were... We were naked. Well, who told you you were naked? Why were they naked? They lost something, right? Because they had been clothed, but what were they clothed with? That light of innocence that kind of supernaturally covered them. But because they were no longer innocent, they lost that light of innocence and now had to wear garments, and they started with fig leaves. You know, we still need to be clothed with light. But we lost the light of innocence, but you know what God has? He has another light. Thy word is a a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And if you want to be clothed, to put on that clothing that Adam and Eve lost, we can't just read. We need to study because every time you study, you're putting something on. Something that's going to protect you from the darts of the devil, right? To keep you from being sucked into wrong information and wrong reasoning. We need that clothing, friends. And that's part of why we're still here. We're still not clothed properly. But when we put on Christ's righteousness through this word, then God can let the four winds go. And it won't matter what the devil does. He'll have a people who will stand because they've been clothed with light again. The light of God's word. That God also made them a promise. And Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between thee, the serpent, and the, the woman. Between the serpent and the church. Yeah. I will put enmity between you. Because it's not a, ma- a matter of, of just being forgiven. You, we need to have enmity towards wrong thinking, yes. wrong reasoning, wrong choices. Yes. And where's all this happened? Where's the enmity happened? Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. And it says, for to be carnally minded, that's the mind we're all born with, the natural mind, is what? To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is 
life and peace. Because the carnal mind is what? It's enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. You see, a mind that's not subject to a law of God, a mind that's not willing even to obey God, is a mind that's continuously being filled with wrong information and wrong reasoning, making wrong choices. So what God wants to do is to write his law in our hearts and our minds so that we have right information, right reasoning, making right choices, right? I mean, that seems fairly simple. But notice what the text says. It doesn't say the mind is at enmity with God. It says the natural mind, the carnal mind, is the enmity against God. See, the problem is our fallen nature that we're born with. The mind that we're born with is the enmity. Which means that I can't just improve the carnal mind because that's the problem. The problem is the carnal mind which now needs to become a what? A spiritual mind. And this is why... God said to Nicodemus, who still had that carnal mind and is as good of a carnal mind anyone's ever had, would have been a head elder in any local church. But he still needed a what? He needed a spiritual mind. He needed a spiritual mind to understand spiritual things. Because even though he heard the scriptures every Sabbath, he still understood things wrong. He still had wrong information, making wrong reasoning, having wrong reasoning, making wrong choices. But if he had that spiritual mind where he began to have that spiritual eyesight and see things he'd never seen before, he could then begin to make, have right reasoning, right? Making better choices, which is a process of how long? A lifetime. God will take us with all our erroneous ideas and and opinions, all our preconceived thoughts. He said, I've got to take you just as you are. But I want you to have a spiritual mind and begin to study this book. Because this is how I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to speak to you through this book so that you have different ideas, different opinions, different theories, so you're going to think different. You're not going to think as you used to think you will now begin to think as Christ thinks. Right? And this is why Jesus, every time he was tempted, every time he was in a situation, he'd always say, "A, it is written. There's a thus saith the Lord because his mind was filled with scripture and he didn't just believe it, he chose to follow it. He is the truth. And with that in his mind and carried out in his life, He reasoned properly. He understood everything that was happening around him. How did he know that? How did he know what was in man? Because he could look at the decisions they made, which is based on their reasoning powers, which is based on certain things they didn't understand properly. And this is why he could say, you know, they wouldn't do this if they knew what they were doing. But the problem is they don't know what they're doing. Therefore, they're making these wrong decisions. You see, in the end of time, the whole world's going to wonder after the beast. Why are they all going to wonder after the beast? It all begins with wrong information. And with that wrong information, they reason wrong. They reason wrong and choose wrong. So what does the world need? Truth. That's why we're here. We're here every Sabbath to encourage one another with the word, with truth, because only truth sanctifies, sanctifies the mind to have better reason abilities, making better choices in life. Have every one of us made a bad choice? Yes, we have. We've all sinned, and God's still in the process to get us to think right, but it is the work of a lifetime. And as we grow as a, as a Christian, we make better and better decisions. And I know, friends, time is short. Yes. Time is short, and we're going to have to make the biggest decisions in our life not long from now. Mm-hmm. And this is why we've got to keep filling the mind with, with truth. Yes. So it affects our reasonabilities and the way we make choices. 
Now, it's interesting that when you look at that creation story, the personalities involved. It's very clear God is there in the picture talking to Adam and Eve. There's also Adam and Eve, and there is Satan himself. Satan himself. How will the controversy end? It's the same personalities. I'm going to read you some statements here. I'm going to go ahead and read them. I did print out my notes, so if you want them, we can post them. And uh, for those who don't have a computer, we can make a copy. Does that seem fair enough? Think how the controversy ends and how it's been going on. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual Paul knew in the first century that the controversy continues. We are not set aside to just think as human beings, just to reason ourselves. He makes it very clear that we need to be taught by the Holy Spirit. That every time you take up this Bible, as it was inspired by the Spirit, needs to be understood by the Spirit. And there's a difference. And this, and I'm going to read some statements here. If we take this Bible and reread it like any other book, you're not inviting the Holy Spirit to guide your thoughts. You're inviting the other side. And I know that sounds awfully strong, but I'm going to read this to you. It is true. This is how reverently we should study the Word. How seriously we should study the Word. John 16, 13. How be it when he, the spirit of what? Truth has come. Yes. He will what? He will guide you into what? All, All truth. Yes. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Yes. How do I understand what things to come? How do I understand truth is through, through the spirit. Yes. Not just me yes. reading the word. It's reading the word, asking God to direct my thoughts. There's a difference. And to direct my study of this word. 1 Timothy 4.1. 1 Timothy 4.1. Listen to this. Wow, puts chills in you. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Seducing spirits and the doctrines of devils. Now that verse is not there if it wasn't possible. Because after all, why did Eve choose to eat the fruit? Who told her to eat? Literally, Satan himself. She believed a doctrine of the devil. She didn't believe something that she made up in her own mind. Those very thoughts were induced by the dark side. You see, we really are in a warfare. If the devil could keep you from reading the Bible, that's what he'd want. He he would want that there is no Bible. But God kept the Bible alive. And people have the Bible. And he'd love it if he didn't read it. But you know, he knows he still has a fight, even if you read it, if you read it in the wrong spirit. If you read it with the wrong attitude... He still gains the victory. And if he can get you to read it with so many preconceived ideas that you never really see truth, he still wins the day. You know what people need? They need the truth. We've got to get this truth out there so people can begin to think properly and understand the Bible properly. Now notice this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the what? The God of this world hath what? 
blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. Who is blinding men's eyes in this verse? The God of this world. You see, when Paul was inspired to say, we fight not against, but against what? Powers in dark places. I'm telling you, friends, this battle is real. And God's people act like, well, I can just read a little bit today and call it good. And I can tell you, with that attitude, we're never going to get back to heaven. We're never going to get to heaven with that attitude. We've got to realize that we are in a battle for our eternal destiny. And don't let the devil take away your eternal destiny by not having enough time to commune with God in the study of his word. Is God asking too much of us to find a time and a place to study his word, to get to know him, to get all our direction from him to know what to do? I mean, if Adam and Eve needed to talk with God every day in the cool of the day to know how to have dominion over the earth, how much the more so it is important for us who have been tainted so much by sin and it's affected our reasonability so much. Man, if there was ever a group of people on the planet who ever needed divine help, it is us. But it's not just the Holy Spirit and Satan himself. Angels are involved in all this. Daniel chapter 9, verse 22. And he, Gabriel, informed me, Daniel, and did what? He talked with me and said, O Daniel, I'm come now forth to give thee skill and understanding. Do you know that the angels are actually involved in impressing our minds to understand truth? That it is the work of the Holy Spirit who will direct you into all truth. And Gabriel himself was sent from heaven to Daniel to help him have skill and understanding. Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. But let me read you another one. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and 30. And this is all throughout scripture. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And the angel said unto her, Mary, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. You see, angels commissioned to help us think right. In the book, Testimonies to Ministers, page 108. Wow, listen to this. The spirit in which you come to the investigation of the scriptures will determine the character of the assistant at your side. Wow. Angels from the world of light will be with those who, in humility of heart, seek for divine guidance. But if the Bible is opened with irreverence, With a feeling of self-sufficiency. If the heart is filled with prejudice, Satan is beside you. And he will set the plain statements of God's word in a perverted light. This is real, friends. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just trying to make sure we understand what's at stake here. That we can't go on because we're still here for some reason. And I don't think it's because we don't own enough radio stations or printing presses. I think we're still here because we may have been reading a little, but we're not studying like our pioneers studied. We have to be a people of the book again. We do know what truth is. We know which days of Sabbath. We know what happens when a person dies. We know who the players are in the end of time. We know what the issues are. But that doesn't mean I understand this experientially. Jesus would say in John chapter 3, verses 5 and 8, Verily, verily, I said unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God because he wouldn't understand it. He wouldn't even appreciate it, right? So is everyone that is 
born of the Spirit. I tell you, that's key, friends. And while we should preach sanctification, sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus, there is a beginning to that whole process. The beginning of first coming to Christ just as you are. No matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, if you give your sins to Jesus, He'll take them. It's His glory to take them so that you're no longer burdened by them. And then God will look at you as if you had never sinned. What a wonderful God. He'll look at you as if you are innocent. You can start when you come to Christ with a full, clean slate. But see, that's only the beginning of the glorious gospel. Because God now wants to take you, forgiven for all that you've done, but we still come to him with all our erroneous ideas and thoughts and theories. He's got to correct that through the word as we're guided by the Holy Spirit. Because once you come to Christ, now you have a, a spiritual mind capable of now understanding this book differently. Is this true? Absolutely true. I know it's true. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, oh, there's liberty. Liberty from what? Wrong thinking, wrong choices. From sin. But we all with open face behold it as in a glass the glory of the Lord. The character of Jesus Christ are changed into the same image. That's a promise. From glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. You see how that happens? Every day we have an opportunity to have the mind ennobled. And what we need is truth. And Jesus is the truth. So you start filling your mind with things that Jesus said, things that Jesus did, how he saw people, how he treated people. And you keep putting in memories hall all these things about Jesus and you keep beholding him. And as you behold him, you become changed into the same image. Now, what kind of image? Physical? No, we're going to still have these bodies, this same body, till the second coming. So what kind of image would he be possibly talking about in this life? Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So when God created man in his own image, yes, there was a physical resemblance, but there was also a mental and spiritual. So when he says, I will recreate you, when he says that we shall be changed into the same image, he's not talking about the physical right now. Because we're not going to get new bodies until the resurrection, the second coming of Christ. But even though we're still in these fallen bodies, we can have a, a renewed mind. A mind after the mind of Christ. And we fill the mind with the same truths that he believed in. The faith of Jesus. And with those same truths, we begin to think as he thinks and feel as he feels and see people and treat people as he did. And that will get us to reason better, right? And make those right choices. And then you'll have peace. You know, the good news is we are not slaves to our pre-understanding. We're not slaves to our preconceived ideas of the old life. Because if I can have the mind of Christ, that means I can be free from the way of not thinking like Jesus. Now, wouldn't that be beautiful? Because Jesus went about healing all who were sick. Passed by no human being as worthless. Not one. Friends, that's what eternal life is. Eternal life isn't just getting some super heart that beats forever. Eternal life is a life. 
It's a life of how you see and treat people. Do unto others. You see, that's what eternal life is. When Jesus left the glories of heaven to help us, that is, that's eternal life. That's what it's all about. When he healed all who were sick, that's life. When he met with the woman at the well and no other Jew would talk to her, that's what eternal life's about. When he healed the centurion's daughter or servant, that's what life is. That when we have all these divisions... You know what's happening in our country is death. It's not life. And what we want is life. You show no partiality. Doesn't matter a person's color of their skin. Doesn't matter their socioeconomic status. You treat everybody the same. Because that is, that's what life is. And when people push those buttons and get you to hate a certain group of people, that's death. That's not life. And we want life. You know, by the time you're age four, you've already basically have all your prejudices already formed because of the family you grew up with, the the, the cartoons you watched on television. They're already formed. Only being ingrained as you get older and older, unless you break the cycle by right information, right reasoning, right choices. I want to talk about, do I have time? How much time do I have? If you need to go, go. I understand. (laughs) But there's a few points I want to make. Is that okay? Because I want to talk about a few things short, quickly. Of what would be a wrong way, a wrong way of thinking, and then close with the right way of thinking, a right attitude, okay? We could say that Satan began to think wrong due to pride. John said to the Pharisees, Jesus said to the Pharisees in John chapter 9, verse 39 and 41. For judgment I have come into the world that they which see not might see. That they which see might be made blind. If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, well, we see. Therefore, your sin remaineth. You see, the Pharisees thought they knew everything. They thought that they were the interpreter of the scriptures. Is there a wrong thinking there? And Jesus says, because you say you see, you're actually what? You're blind. But for people who know they're blind and need someone to guide them, now they are able to, they're able to see. Because the more blind you see yourself, the more needy you see yourself, the more you're going to exercise faith and dependency upon God. And he will be your teacher and he will interpret the Bible for you. You know, there is something called higher criticism when I was at the seminary. Not at the Adventist, but I'd been to a couple other denominations. There was these things called higher criticism where men with PhDs and THDs would sit back and say, I wonder if Isaiah really wrote Isaiah. And they'd find these other things that they thought were contradictions. And right there, you know their thoughts are wrong. Because they just became the interpreter of something that's supernatural, inspired by God. And they questioned it. And they're training all these future pastors. And there's this question out in Christianity about certain verses and this and that. Does that help or hurt Christianity? Completely harms people's way of thinking. When you... there was a, I don't remember, it's in 2 Corinthians. I was speaking in Washington State last Sabbath. And a lady came up to me and showed me a passage. And it's where Paul says, live as if your wife doesn't exist. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. And she came up and she was very disturbed about it. And I thought, I understand why you're disturbed. What does that really mean? To act as if your, twi- your wife isn't there. And I said, well, Paul wrote this, right? Did Paul ever talk about marriage before? Yeah, he did. He said in Ephesians 5, Husbands, 
love your wives, even wife, even as Christ loves the church. Therefore, you couldn't take it as if she's not there and treat her that way. It's not what he means. What he's saying, because you've got to take the whole of Scripture, right? The whole of Scripture. He's saying before you were married, you made this decision for Jesus and this decision, and you didn't care what anybody else thought, and you made all those right decisions, and now that you're married, you should make those same kind of decisions as if you weren't married, as if you didn't have a wife. He's not saying ignore your wife. He's just saying when you're married, don't make different decisions in following God. You know, in the end of time, we're going to be facing some real trials. And we need to understand that principle that faced with not able to buy and sell, you still have to make choices and take a stand for truth as you would as even if you weren't married. But don't let marriage make you make and compromise your faith and taking a stand for truth. That's exactly what he's saying. Seventh Testimonies, page 199, page 200. The sin that is most nearly hopeless and incurable is pride of opinion, self-conceit. This stands in the way of all growth. The second one is self-deception. I have to go quickly through this one. Self-deception is meaning that you will only go to a church and hear what you want to hear. Because it's simply going to support what you want to believe anyway. Now, how do you grow with that? The thing is, the Bible challenges us, doesn't it? Challenges us to understand things in a broader, deeper way. And no matter what we all understand right now, we can know God better, love God better, know his truth, know each commandment better. Do we fully understand what it means, thou shalt not bear false witness? Have we arrived at a complete, can't understand anything more? No, we haven't. There's still more to learn. And the third is doubt. When you have doubt, it diminishes the possibility of faith. So the necessary attitudes, and I'll just name them, follow and obey. You see, if God inspired this word, which he did, and we're the sinner in need of a savior, then who should be doing the interpreting? The Holy Spirit needs to educate us what God means by what he says in this book. So we need to come there with the idea that we're teachable, we will follow, and we will will obey. Faith and hope. Faith and hope. Faith that God loves you. No matter what happens in your life, God doesn't love you less and never will he will always love you and so i have this faith that whatever's in this book it is because god loves me and i'm a sinner in need of transformation so the bible may step on my toes that's okay i have faith that god loves me and i have a hope That if I live up to all the light I have, his promise, you're going to live forever. And after you've lived a million years, you realize he just started. He just started. And let me just close with this. Humility and prayer go together. If I don't pray, that is an expression that I've not humbled myself before the Lord. Is this true? Because prayer is an expression of me needing God to help me. And when I study his word in prayer and with humility, I am expressing to him that I need to continue to move forward and change by his power, by understanding his word to correct my thinking. Because as of today, I can guarantee you There's some wrong ideas up here. And the only way to get cleansed of them is through the word 
as inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I need to have a teachable, humble spirit, realizing that I'm in need of God. Because I can't change myself, but I do need to be changed. The gospel is about more than being forgiven. It's about living a whole new life. And day by day, verse by verse, you become more and more like Jesus. Before we have our closing prayer, we have a closing hymn. Let us sing our closing hymn. closing hymn is going to be number 271 break thou the bread of life and if we could all stand number 271 Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the word, Jesus Christ. Help us to partake of his life each day, and it will change us. Thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit, who's the great teacher who will lead us into that word to have the nourishment we need each day to love you more. Thank you, Father, for all the holy angels that also are involved in helping us to better understand your word. And we thank you for this church. We thank you for one another. Help us to continue to encourage one another to walk in this narrow way, to understand your word in a more deeper and personal way. Help us, Father, to fulfill the work that you have for us to do. And we thank you for all those in our community, those who will soon receive this truth. And we pray for all. Help us to be a light and a blessing, whether people accept it or not, so that we can experience what life truly is. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.